What a special time of worship it has been. Why don't we uh, kind of soak it in for a moment with prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, we have just been in Your presence in a unique way. We've been caused to think about things at a profound level. And we don't want to lose this moment, so we pray that as You are here with us, You would seize our hearts, our thoughts. Help us to grasp what You're trying to speak into our lives about. Help us to respond. Help us to be changed into the life that You have planned and dreamt for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this idea of take up your cross, follow me, live a sacrificial yet overcoming kind of life, uh, didn't just start with Jesus. It started all the way back from the beginning of time. And it's a theme that you hear from cover to cover in the Bible and throughout history where God is present and is at work in ways that overcomes. And so I just remind us about a few things like that. We start off with Abraham, who had to overcome. What does it mean to relate to this God that I don't even know and go to a place that I don't know where He wants me to go? And that I begin to follow after and live out a promise that I, I don't have a clue about. He had to overcome all those unknowns. And then there was Joseph, who had to overcome the betrayal of his brothers, the betrayal of his boss's wife, the abandonment of a cellmate in prison until God saw fit to raise him to a point of prominence where he could uh, be a point of salvation for the children of Israel. And then, of course, there's Moses, who in the beginning had to overcome a death sentence for all Hebrew male babies. And then once he began to be uh, raised in the house of Pharaoh, in a house of privilege, he had to overcome that lure and that temptation that would sidetrack him from the mission of God. And ultimately, he had to overcome all of the uh, opposition of Pharaoh to the plans of God for the Hebrews. And then, of course, we have Joshua. Joshua, who had to overcome the faithlessness of his generation. And then overcome seasoned warriors in the land of Canaan that were so mighty they seemed like giants. And then we learned of David as we continue our trek across the Old Testament, who literally overcame a giant by the name of Goliath, and then had to overcome the giant personage of Saul, the king, who had a death wish for David, literally chased him all over the countryside trying to kill him. Then we get introduced to Elijah, a mighty man of God, a prophet, who had to overcome the uh, schemes of King Ahaz, and then had to confront and overcome 800 false prophets of a false god, and then overcome Queen Jezebel. And then we learned of Daniel, of course, who had to overcome a royal edict that would cause him to compromise his faith, later being arrested and thrown into a den of lions where God helped him overcome by the stopping of their mouths where they did not devour him. We could go on and on and on. We've just scratched the surface. You've been reading about this since January 
of how God is present with us in ways that He is overcoming and He's empowering His people to overcome the situations and the scenarios that would seek to thwart His purposes in this world. Ultimately, we get into the New Testament to the Gospels and we look at the life of Jesus who, as we just heard, articulated this overcoming mission this way. Take up your cross. Follow me. Jesus overcame sicknesses, diseases. He overcame demons and evil spiritual powers. He overcame natural storms. He overcame Jewish political groups, religious groups, Roman political groups. He overcame death. He overcame sin. He overcame our condemnation. And by His taking on our penalty and our punishment, He overcame so that we could be forgiven and so that we could have a relationship with God. What we have here is this scenario throughout all time, throughout all history, where God has been displaying His glory and has been carrying out His plan to save sinners, to save us, fallen, broken, busted people. And He's been doing that against a backdrop of opposition by overcoming. He's the great overcomer. And for all of us who have been saved by Him and follow Him, we join Him in an overcoming kind of life. Now, this is such a big deal to Jesus. This is so central to the purposes and plans of God. Notice what Jesus had to say about it in Luke chapter 12, verse 4. Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. There's a lot of things that are worse than you standing for me and being oppressed and being opposed, and even if it ultimately leads to your death. He says there's a lot of things worse than that, so don't fear those that can kill the body, and after that they have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast you in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. There's things worse than death. And that is an eternity of separation from God. Dying in this life unforgiven and still condemned in your fallenness. He goes on to say in Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. In other words, Jesus said, when you really have faith in me, when you really have a relationship with me, it begins to change the DNA of your life so that you're unashamedly mine. It begins to express itself in what you do, how you act, how you carry out your life, and how you talk. It cannot escape your mouth and your lips giving expression that you know me, that you're identified with me. Now, move all the way to the end of the New Testament, and some of the last things that are ever said to us in Holy Scripture are this, Revelation 3.21, To the one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father 
on His throne. From cover to cover in the Bible, it's about glory of God as He carries out a plan to save sinners against the backdrop of opposition and His overcoming. I'm an overcomer, Jesus would say, and you that follow Me will overcome as well. Now, our focus this morning takes us to Luke chapter 13. And in Luke chapter 13, we have an interesting little story out of the life of Jesus. Now, Jesus had been opposed by a number of people groups, by a number of entities, and uh, the Pharisees were maybe at the top of that list. They just didn't know what to do with Jesus. He was kind of blowing up all their rules and regulation systems, all of their religiosity. And so they were like, we've got to stop this guy. We've got to end this guy's movement. And they couldn't do it. Similarly, the political power in their presence at that time was a guy named King Herod. More specifically, Herod Agrippa I. There were several Herods. And this particular Herod was so uh, beside himself that he could not stop Jesus and he could not stop the movement of Jesus that he actually made a little pact with the Pharisees. Now, these were strange bedfellows because they couldn't stand each other, but they had a common opponent. They both opposed Jesus. And so Herod couldn't stop Jesus, but he told the Pharisees, tell Jesus that I'm about to capture him and kill him. He better flee the country. And the idea was that Jesus would be scared. If Jesus would flee the country, then Herod was rid of him. The Pharisees were rid of him, and both of them were happy about Jesus being out of the picture. And so you'll notice in the Scriptures that the text begins in chapter 13, beginning with verse 1 this way, or actually verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, strangely, it sounds like the Pharisees are trying to help Jesus out. But he understands it to be the sinister ploy that it is. They're just trying to get him out of the picture. And so Jesus said to them, you go tell that fox. Talking about the king, Herod. Behold, I cast out demons. I perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on and... Uh, into my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Now, what he basically said was this. You go tell Herod, I'm the overcomer. I've overcome demons. I've overcome sicknesses. In fact, I'm even going to overcome my own death. I'm going to carry out my mission. I'll die in the process of that, and the third day I'm going to rise up. You go tell him that. And Pharisees, unfortunately, you're going to be a party to all this. I cried. I sought for you to be able to follow after God and to receive the, good, the grace gift of God's salvation. But you won't. So you'll kill one more prophet within the city confines of Jerusalem. Now, I've said all that to say this. What's it mean to you and to me that the great story of Scripture is about overcoming. What's it mean that Jesus has overcome everything so that we can have salvation? What's it mean that He would then call us 
to be overcomers with Him. I want to close with this little story from Acts chapter 12. We're leaping ahead just a little bit. But it gets right back to this Herod character. Because now Jesus has died on the cross, been resurrected, has ascended back to the Father. Pentecost has happened. The church has exploded. There are followers of Jesus all over the place by the thousands. A church begins to form in Jerusalem. Its first pastor is a guy named James, who was one of the apostles, the brother of John. And Herod comes along and he is so taken with himself. He is so taken with his grandeur and his power and his uh, fame and his celebrity that he does anything and everything he can to get everybody to think he's awesome. And one of the things he kind of stumbled into and found out is this. Whenever I give Christians a hard time, my poll numbers go up. My, my rating goes up. People think I'm more awesome because there's a lot of people that oppose Christianity. And so he began to uh, persecute and make it hard on Christians and his fame numbers kept going up. And so he took it to an ultimate level and he went and seized James, the pastor of the church, the brother of John, an apostle. And he killed him. And his numbers just went crazy at that point. He became even more popular, even more glorious, even more grand in his culture and in his day. And he said, well, I'll just double that. And then he went and arrested Peter, another apostle. And he throws Peter in jail and he says, okay, right after the Passover, I'm going to kill Peter. And from his little perch of grandeur, with all of his fine robes, and uh, it was said that he so glistened in the sunshine with the, the glittering of his robes, he looked like deity himself. So while he is so taken with himself and he has this little sinister plot with Peter going on, he literally puts four squads of soldiers around Peter to make sure Peter doesn't get away. Because this is like the top dog of all the apostles. When I kill him, man, people are going to know how awesome I am. And some of you know this story. So Peter is in jail. He's literally shackled to, chained to some guards. There are four squads of guards all around him, and he's behind bars. And in the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord comes. And the angel of the Lord begins to break him free from his shackles, raises him up, and begins to escort him out of the jail while all the soldiers are asleep opens up prison bar doors, lets him out. Next thing you know, Peter is out in the street, alone and free, thinking all this time, I must be dreaming this. This must be some kind of vision or whatever. But then the angel leaves him. He's all alone in the street. And he goes, oh, this was real. This was real. And he goes on down to a little secret place where a lot of believers have been gathering together and praying together. And he knocks on the door and one of the little attendant gals comes to the door and says, who's there? I love this. Yeah. Peter says, it's me, Peter. And she's like, ah! And she just starts losing her mind. She closes the door on him. She runs back to tell everybody, Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door. And they're like, no way. He's in jail. 
four squads of soldiers around him. He's about to be killed. She says, no, no, he's at the door, he's at the door. So they all come to the door, open the door. Peter's still standing there. <laughs> Peter, what happened? And he tells the story of the angel coming to deliver him. Well, the next day, you can imagine how nuts Herod is. This prize prisoner, this uh, little plot that was going to send him over the top in his fame and in his glory has now come unraveled and he's been shamefully embarrassed that Peter has been able to escape. So much so that he goes out into the court. He begins to see some uh, visiting dignitaries that have come to see him from Tyre and Sidon. And they've come to do some uh, food bartering and trading and things like that. And he's just not having anything to do with it. And he's just kind of strutting his stuff. And somebody said, you know what? He is so awesome. He's like a god. And when that comment was made... The Bible says that angel of the Lord struck Herod to the ground and that he was consumed by worms and he died. And there's one artist's rendition of that. Lovely, isn't it? But here's the point, friends. God is glorious. There is none other. There's... There's not even a close second. And all of life, all of the meta narrative of life is about His glory and out of His glory that He cares enough about people that He wants to save people. And He will allow the backdrop of opposition to come forward so in that contrast you can see how great He is. And so there's been all kinds of opposing forces and factors and people through all the centuries. And his people just keep overcoming, 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 overcoming. But you need to understand this. Overcoming doesn't always look like an angel rescuing you. It does sometimes. In the case of James, he overcame. But he did so in his death. And as he died, still faithful to Christ and still glorifying God and still true to the purpose and the mission of Christ, God was glorified and he overcame. Death couldn't stop the testimony of his life. We're still talking about it today. So, guys, what's this mean to you and to me? Do you see your part in the story? There's a lot of crazy stuff going on around us all the time. Work demands, school demands, social demands, recreational demands, financial demands, health demands, etc., etc. We can get so lost and we get so crazed with all the stuff we have to do. You remember what it's all about? It's all about God. It's all about who He is and what He's doing. It's all about His invitation for you to join Him relationally in who He is and what He's doing. To navigate all of the challenges of this life as an overcomer where He gives you grace, He gives you strength, He gives you encouragement, He gives you wisdom, He gives you words 
That's what all the readings of this coming week are going to be about. So that you not only persevere, but that you overcome. So that someday when this life is over, you reign and rule with Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Does that make sense to you? If it does, I'm going to ask you to respond to that. And the very first thing I want to ask you is, will you surrender to His Lordship? And I use the word surrender purposefully. Because basically, we all have a default system. And that is, I'm my own boss. I'm the one that calls the shots. I make my decisions. I exercise my free will. And the question is, will you say, you know, God is greater. God is more glorious. God is more wise. I want to defer to Him. I will surrender my lordship to His lordship. I'll let Him call the shots of my life. Will you do that? You go, gosh, that would change a few things. Yeah, it would. And that's kind of the idea to His glory. Would you publicly identify with Him? See, once you surrender to Him, He begins to change your heart, change that DNA inside of you, and He just begins to kind of ooze out of you in your character, in your decisions, in the way that you talk, in the way that you see this life. And, of course, one of those first steps of publicly identifying with Him is to enter into the waters of believer baptism. We're going to be doing that next week. If you think that you're a follower of Christ and that you surrender to Him, this would be an important step for you. And will you be engaged in the mission of sharing the Gospel promise? The Gospel promise is good news. Hey, God really loves you. God really has a great plan for your life. God wants to forgive the bustedness in your life and make you whole and to bring about a full and abundant kind of life that this broken world robs you from. So, if this is where you are, you're ready to surrender your life, or you have and you're ready to be more public about that and you want to make a commitment about that, or you recognize that you kind of got sidetracked and you're not so much about sharing that good promise, then I'm, I'm asking you to make a commitment about that right now. I'm going to pray for you that you'll be able to decide for Christ in these ways. And then we're going to have just a few moments of silence. And if you feel the need for more prayer, you go, I, I really want to turn this over to God, or I, I want to settle this issue of Him forgiving me and my being a child of God. We're going to have some people standing in the back some of our leaders, they're going to pray for you. So while we have that little time, if you just want to slip back there and let them pray for you for a moment, and then you can slip back to your seat, you'll be able to do that. But let me pray for you, and then we'll have just a few moments of, of more prayer, and then uh, we'll hear from our youth again. Okay? Let's pray together. So, Father, thank you for being with us in these moments. And reminding us what it's all about. Thank you for making the first thing the first thing. The most important thing the most important thing. And now we need your help to respond to that. There's a big gravitational pull from our culture that keeps us from all of this. And I pray that you'd be mighty 
in the hearts and minds of my friends here today. That like the angel who set Peter free, we might lose the shackles of distraction and wrong decisions and say yes to Christ. It's in His name we pray.